0: This morning we continue our study from the book of First Corinthians. If you are visiting with us today, first of all, I just want to welcome you. Uh, it is our practice here at New Hope Christian Fellowship to, uh, for the bulk of the teaching and preaching that goes on, we work through books of the Bible, uh, verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, uh, book by book, uh, so that the congregation and the church has the opportunity to be exposed to uh, the whole counsel of God. Uh, we don't cherry-pick here, and so uh, you're going to hear some things this morning that refer back to things that we've studied already, and I will do my best to, to try to bring you up to speed as we move forward, but understand that uh, finding ourselves in First Corinthians chapter 15 is not by chance. It is the result of a, almost a 10-month-long a, a study, and, and Lord willing, one that we'll complete over the next couple of weeks. But again, we're so glad that you are with us this morning. That, that's found on page 961 in the uh, Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows, if you do not have your own copy of the Bible with you this morning. If you are visiting with us and you do not have your own copy of the scriptures and would like to take one of those, uh, please feel free to do so as our gift to you. First Corinthians chapter 15 beginning at verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this day and for your word, for your gospel that saves. Lord, I pray for us. Lord, that you would help me to speak clearly and well these truths from your word. Lord, I pray for every person present this morning that you would give them ears to hear the truth. Lord, that those that know you would be built up in their faith, that they would be strengthened in their confidence in you and in your word. Lord, that you would empower them for for a greater faithfulness and greater witness in this lost and dying world. Lord, and I pray for those among us who have yet to truly come to faith in you, that this would be the day, Lord, as they hear the gospel proclaimed, Lord, that you would open their eyes and their hearts to the truth, Lord, that they would respond in faith to what Christ has done and see it receive the salvation that they so desperately need. Lord, we recognize that. The gospel is never something that we outgrow or graduate from, but it is the basis uh, for our faithfulness in this life. It is the reminder of your never-ending love and faithfulness towards your people. It is the reminder of, of the seriousness of our sin and the great price that you paid to redeem us. And so, Lord, as we cover what may seem like... Uh, basic truths for many of us, Lord. I I pray that we would not take these truths lightly, but Lord, that we would rejoice in them and that we would glorify you because of them, that we would be transformed by them for our good and for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you get older, uh, and if you've been in church for any amount of time, you, you live long enough to see different trends that, that tend to take place in the context of Christianity. Now, I came to uh, to faith in Christ uh, in my late teens. I, I was 19 years old. That would have been uh, in the early 1990s, nineteen ninety to be exact. 1992. And, and, and from there I went straight to Bible college and, and was exposed to, to, to church growth strategies and was required to get involved in church ministries. And, and it was really during that time that the seeker-sensitive movement Really came into full swing in the context of the church. Now, to boil down the seeker-sensitive movement without being overly crass, it it could be said that, that 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 the main thrust of the seeker-sensitive movement was to do church in such a way that that it would appeal to unbelievers, those who were who who were entrenched in worldly ways, but would resonate with, with certain approaches to try to draw people in. So church wasn't necessarily, the church service wasn't necessarily for believers, but the focus was to do it in such a way to appeal to, appeal to unbelievers. Now there are still many churches today that, that, that take on a similar approach, but, but it's steeped in that. The, the the next fad that swept through the church probably what could be seen as the the purpose driven church movement, which was focused more on. Christians, but, but it wasn't more on what God was doing, but, but necessarily our discovering our purpose in this life. What did God make us for? And there were some helpful aspects of that, but then there was also some aspects of that movement which really took away from our focus on being in awe of who God is and what God has done. The, the, the next fad after that, which would have been in the early 2000s. What would be what would be called the emerging church or the emergent church movement. And and the emergent church really was what well, was steeped in in a response to, to to postmodernism. And the focus wasn't on the authority of God's word, but more the questioning of that authority seeking to appeal to a generation that had grown disillusioned with the church. Now, from all these movements, and you're wondering why we're taking this trip down memory lane, has has become a response to all these things, which I think has been a good shift in the contemporary church, and that has been what could be called the gospel-centered movement. You have conferences built around the importance of the gospel. You have books written on why the church needs to recapture their focus on the gospel. If you go to New Hope's website, you see New Hope Christian Fellowship, a gospel-centered church. So you even see the influence here. And, and this really has been a response to everything that came before. This desire to recapture to capture the, the, the glory of what God has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and the reminder that the gospel is central to, to who we are as followers of Christ. No gospel, no salvation. No gospel, no church. But with any good thing there's always that that tendency when you emphasize something so much for it to begin to lose some of its thrust. And, and we must be on guard, brothers and sisters, as the church, to not allow that to be true in our lives. The gospel truly is, as Paul writes here in First Corinthians chapter 15, of first importance. It's primary It's the message that leads to our salvation, but it's so much more. So this morning I want to answer a few questions from this passage. What is the gospel? Why is the gospel of first importance? And how does the gospel continue to change us after we believe? whether you're here for the first time this morning or or the 101st time this morning or you've been coming here since New Hope was established, Can, can I just share with you this morning that you are not here by accident today? God has you here for a reason. And I would submit to you that I believe that reason might be To recapture the gospel as being of first importance in your life this morning. Uh, I've broken the, the passage up under three headings, as I often do this morning. Our first point, we're going to look at the gospel that saves. Secondly, we're going to look at the gospel that has been witnessed. And finally, the gospel that transforms. Three Truths about the gospel from this passage, three truths about this gospel that should apply to our lives, and three truths that will lead to greater faithfulness in our lives, brothers and sisters. So may God grow us. May God strengthen us as his people. May God further unite us as a a church as we learn from Paul's words to the Corinthians. Let's look first at the gospel that saves, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now chapter 15 begins with an important reminder. Now we need to keep in mind that Paul has been building up to chapter 15 throughout the first 14 chapters of the letter. I know that's really profound, right? 15 comes after 14 and it all builds up. But it's true. 14 chapters in which he has dealt with the division and the faulty beliefs of the Corinthians. He's dealt with their immaturity, even their expressions of worship, which didn't unite but further divided the church, failing to bring glory to God. If nothing else, our study of 1 Corinthians has reminded us that the church truly consists of broken people in the need of God's grace, has it not? But it is not God's will that the church stays broken, but that as people grow in our love for him and our love for one another and that we grow spiritually and in holiness, that we grow in our witness to the world around us, which so desperately needs the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel that is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Now, chapter 15 isn't the first time that Paul has reminded the Corinthians of the importance of the gospel. But it is his longest teaching on the gospel in the entire letter. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll see that that in Paul's teaching on the gospel, that he begins to to narrow his focus on the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. But here in verses 1 through 11, he, he directs us to the gospel as a whole. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that the Son of God took on flesh being born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, righteous uh, uh, in the fulfillment of all of God's law. He was rejected by the very people that he came to save. He, re- he was crucified on a cruel cross where he bore the wrath of God for all who believe. Three days later, Jesus rose, rose from the dead, proving that all who turned to him in faith have their sins forgiven and will be reconciled to God. This is good news, but what makes it good news is that we must understand the bad news of our condition apart from God. The bad news is that we are born in sin. The bad news is that we grow up consumed with the desire to take the place of God Rather than the universe revolving around him, we want it to revolve around us. If you've ever tried to raise small children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to teach them to be selfish. It happens naturally. We are ruled by our desires apart from Christ, enslaved to our sinfulness, and we can do nothing to change it on our own. We deserved death. We deserved to suffer internally in hell. But in our helplessness, God acted with the good news of the gospel. Christ doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. This gospel is what brings us together as the church. This was true for the Corinthians, and it is true for New Hope, and it's true for every other true church that has or ever will exist. No matter how different we may be individually in our background, even our nationalities, personalities, and preferences, every Christian shares the same faith in our Lord Jesus Christ And and the beauty of the church is that no matter how stark our other differences may be, our common faith in Christ is greater than everything else. Without the gospel, there is no church. Without the gospel, there is no grace or reconciliation to God. Without the gospel, there is no salvation. And, And this is why Paul begins first corinthians by by reminding these messed up corinthians that they are saints because of what jesus has done this is why paul later chastises the church because of the factions that existed with the question was paul crucified for you this is why paul even later reminds them that when he first came to them his primary focus was to preach the gospel And that he avoided any behavior that might be a hindrance for their receiving the gospel. The the gospel is essential to our salvation. It is essential to our growth as Christians. The Corinthians had, had started well in the faith by believing the gospel but very quickly had failed to recognize how the gospel should have changed their perspective on absolutely everything. And this is what we must remember as those who name the name of Christ. The gospel must change our perspective on absolutely everything. It is the lens through which we view life not our political affiliations, not our family tree, not our employment history, not the awards we have received, the things that we have earned in this life. First and foremost, we must view this life through the lens of what God has done. We must view this world through the lens of the love of God revealed specifically through the sacrifice of Christ for us. In 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we see that the gospel is a message that must be proclaimed and it is a message that must be believed in order to be the gospel that saves. The, the Corinthians had received the gospel and, they were be, and in it they were being established or built up in the faith. They were saved in it and, and the church was growing in, in number as a, as a result of unbelievers coming to faith. But then Paul adds a qualifying warning. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he reminds him of this gospel that saved them, but then he he tags on this warning. What's Paul doing there? Is he he saying that, that we can lose our salvation? Are we only saved if we perfectly obey God's word, if we perfectly obey the teachings of Christ? Is that what he's saying? Not at all. Not at all. Paul recognizes that in the, in, the, in the context of the church in Corinth, just like every other church in the world, you have both sincere believers, you have false converts, and then you have people who know they are not saved. And so in this warning where, that he's tagging on about this gospel that saves, he, he's recognizing that there are some in the church who, who may be affirming all the right things, but who didn't actually believe their faith was superficial. You can affirm the right things without having a true desire for the God who saves. Did, did you know that? We see this in parenting, right? We, we can teach them to say and do the right things that are expected of them. But this does not mean that we reach the heart. The, the, the same is true when the gospel is misunderstood. We must understand the purpose of the gospel. And the goal of the gospel is not simply our sins forgiven. It's not simply an eternity in heaven. It's not simply the the great opportunity you have to come listen to to such wonderful preaching. That's a joke. (laughs) The goal of the gospel is that we are reconciled to God. That is the purpose. Sins forgiven is a means to that end. Righteousness received is a means to that end. And so it's possible to sit there and say, yes, I believe Jesus died for me, but have no desire for the God for whom he, or to whom he died to reconcile us. And if you're not there, then then you should question the the sincerity of your faith. What is it that you believe? It doesn't take a lot of faith to be saved. Don't get me wrong. It just takes a little bit in the right person. Paul recognized this, and and he writes to address those false converts in the church, people who had religious experiences but never truly responded in faith and repentance to the gospel. Now, there truly are great earthly benefits to belonging to a church. Churches are often quick to help those in need. A church family is a great place to meet nice people and have nice friends and acts of service that the church commits can can make one feel good. Even worship, singing, stimulates our hearts and minds as we sing. It feels good. Some people, as strange as they may be, even like having their toes stomped on with a rip-roaring sermon, but none of this None of this is bad. None of it truly saves. Salvation is found in Christ alone, not in our feelings, not in our gifts and talents, not in our religious acts, but in Christ and his gospel. It is the only gospel that saves in a world that is filled with numerous false gospels. It is a gospel that saves. It is a gospel that is trustworthy, and it is a gospel that must be believed. And in verses 3 through 7, it is a gospel that has also been witnessed. Verse 3. Now we know that the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an incredible message. Jesus, the sinless one, died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead three days later. It's a message that is powerful, miraculous even, but also unbelievable. Unbelievable to, unbelievable to those outside the faith. It's been called a myth, a fairy tale, a crutch for weaklings who, who cannot cope with the harsh realities of the world and honestly at face value the gospel is incredible the the miracles of jesus alone challenge us because they they are so outside of what we experience each and every day and as we read the bible this can raise doubts within our minds as to whether or not we should truly keep the faith causes a a crisis of faith for believers and, and it serves as a hindrance to the faith of the unsaved. Perhaps you can relate to what I'm saying. But I've got great news, brothers and sisters. The gospel is not a fanciful tale spread by Jesus' disciples to trick the world into believing. Jesus' life, death, resurrection and the salvation that he offers and all that is promised to all who believe They've been witnessed and and testified to in the pages of Scripture, as well as in the lives of those who've truly received the gift of salvation. And that's the point that we see here in verses 3 through 7. In verses 3 and 4, Paul points us to the testimony of the Bible concerning the gospel. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, the scriptures that that Paul refers to are the Old Testament scriptures. Paul is, is referencing the, the prophecies concerning the, the promised Messiah and the different types or pictures that, that in the Old Testament which represented what Jesus would accomplish. From the beginning pages of Genesis through, 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 through Malachi, throughout the Old Testament, there are promises, prophecies, prophecies, Images of what Jesus would do for his people. F- from the promise that he would crush the head of the serpent, to that he would die on the cross, even to the, to the, to the point where, 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 where God calls his shot and says where Jesus would be born. All of that is found in the Old Testament. They are witnesses to what God would do through Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's why he says over and over again, according to the Scriptures, these things didn't just happen out of nowhere. God, long ago, promised that they would take place. But Paul doesn't stop there concerning the witnesses to the gospel, but also points to Jesus' disciples who were also first-hand witnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Now again, in these verses we see Paul shifting his focus to the resurrection of Christ. The bulk of chapter 15 centers on the importance of the resurrection to the gospel and to our salvation. But, but, but for now, it's enough for us to say that without the resurrection, everything else in the gospel falls apart. Without the resurrection, we have no hope of salvation. Verse 5, Paul writes that, that then the resurrected Jesus appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Now, keep in mind that when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, the disciples were still around, most of them anyway, and were known to the Corinthians. Remember, there was even a faction in the church that was devoted to Cephas, Peter. The the twelve that that, that Paul references are are Jesus' original eleven disciples. Remember, Judas committed suicide shortly after betraying Jesus, along with Matthias, who was added to replace Judas as the twelfth disciple. Those are the 12 that Paul references there. These were men who had been with Jesus during his ministry and and were with him following his resurrection. The the Corinthians would have had access to some of these men. Peter had visited them already. From from Peter, they, they, they could hear firsthand how Jesus restored him on the beach following his betrayal the night Jesus was arrested. They, they could get a first-hand account uh, of his trip to the empty tomb and, and Jesus' first appearance to them in the upper room. But Paul doesn't stop there. He, he then points to a multitude of witnesses who saw Jesus after his resurrection. Verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, we don't have a specific New Testament reference of of what Paul is referring to when Jesus appeared to 500 at one time, but remember, following his resurrection, Jesus was around for 40 days before his ascension. So it's not hard to believe that he would have gathered with a, a large group of followers. And of these 500, Paul writes, most were still alive. What's Paul doing here? He's challenging the Corinthians. If you doubt, check the evidence. Look to the Old Testament. See how how God calls his shot from the early pages and how it's fulfilled in Christ. If you don't believe that, some of you love Peter so much, ask him about it. Some of you know these 500... They're still alive. Ask them about it. Now, it's one thing to get one person to, 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 to spread a story that people could believe. Uh, I, I used this illustration during our family ministries once, and I'll do it again because it's kind of goofy. But, but if I were to tell you, young people, that, that you know tonight down at the Administration building in Marietta that Justin Bieber is going to be performing. You probably wouldn't believe it coming from one person, right? You're old. What do you know about the Biebs? And why would he be performing? Why would he be performing in Marietta of all places? That's not believable, right? But what if I showed you a flyer? Well, okay, maybe. But you could have made that, right? So, so there's still a doubt there. But what if the person's manager came in and and started sharing, yep, it's true, he's really going to be here. Well, maybe the doubt begins to fall away. You're still wondering why anybody on earth would want to hear that guy sing, but, but maybe he's really coming, right? What if all of a sudden we heard a ruckus outside the church doors and we opened the door and yelled out, Hey, what's going on out there? Oh, we're chasing Justin Bieber. He just ran down the street. We saw him. Well, then it becomes harder and harder to refute what at first seemed unbelievable. <laughs> yes, yeah, bad, I know. But, but you see what I'm saying? With, with the addition of more and more and more witnesses, the story becomes what? More credible. That's what Paul's doing here. Corinthians, you can trust this gospel. This gospel is what's going to unite you and mature you and help you overcome 14 chapters of things I've written to you that you need to get in order. To be a healthy church. This is how you do it. This gospel has been attested to, even by the brother of Jesus. Just a note on the trustworthiness of Scripture. I don't know how many of you saw early this month uh, the news story that came out. They were doing testing on, the, on, the, on one of the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and it was, uh, I think, infrared. And, and they discovered writing that they had not earlier been able to see with the naked eye. Do you know what they found there? A portion of Leviticus. You know how they know it was Leviticus? Because it's just like, other than another language, the Leviticus you have in your Bible. Trustworthy. There is more archaeological, archaeological evidence to support the trustworthiness of the Bible than there is any other historical book that's ever been written, more Copies, more portions and they line up copy after copy and, and discovery after discovery ringing true the truth of God's word you can trust this word trust what it tells you about who you are in Christ trust what it tells you about what we are to value in this life trust what it tells you as you seek to tell others about Christ This is a word you can base your life on. This is a word you can base your death on. It has been proven. It is trustworthy and true. And not only that, but you also see the evidence of the work of salvation in the lives of the people seated around you. We are imperfect witnesses to the power of God under salvation, but every person here who is truly saved gives evidence that what the Bible says about the gospel is absolutely true. It truly is of first importance, brothers and sisters. The Corinthians were were confused about so much in relation to the Christian life. But but Paul wants them to be crystal clear on the gospel. Oh, that the church today would be crystal clear on the gospel. It is of first importance, top priority. They needed to understand that Christ died and rose again for their salvation. This is a reality that was promised in the Old Testament. It was witnessed and attested to by by those who had known and seen Jesus, both before and after his death and resurrection. So it is a gospel that has been witnessed. It is a gospel that continues to be witnessed. Finally, in verses 8 through 11, we see the gospel that transforms Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. verses 8 through 10, Paul points to himself as another one of those witnesses to the resurrected Lord. And he also shares his testimony of how the gospel transformed his life. Now remember, Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus at a time when Paul, called Saul, hated the church. I think it was two summers ago we did a study of the the life of the Apostle Paul. So this will be some review for some of you. But Paul saw himself as being untimely born because unlike the other appearances of Jesus that he referenced so far, they, they all took place before Jesus ascended into heaven. Jesus appeared to Paul later, after that, after the ascension. He was late to the party, so to speak, and, and by his own admission saw himself as unworthy to be there. But his life really is a, a study on how the grace of God can transform someone's life. We, we saw this in our, our study uh, of his life as he remained faithful under trial and as he took the gospel to the Gentiles. No, But that's not how we're introduced to Paul in Acts, is it? No, we're we're first introduced to to him as Saul in in Acts chapter 7 at the stoning of of Stephen. You remember that? Stephen, the first martyr? Scripture tells us that Saul was a witness to his execution. And he didn't just watch it, but he approved of it. And then in chapter 8, we see that he becomes a persecutor of the church Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, but Paul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This does not describe a very nice guy, does it? In Acts chapter 9, we find Paul still in the rampage. It says he's breathing threats and and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He, he then is on the way to Damascus to arrest more Christians. And it's here that Jesus appears to him. Now I won't recount the, the whole story, but, but go make a note in your bullets and in your Bible to go back and read Acts chapter 9, one of the most powerful conversions in the Bible. This hater of the church is redeemed through Christ. Paul thought he was being faithful to God when he persecuted the church, but when his eyes were opened, well, closed, and and then opened again, the the truth of who Jesus is was revealed. And, and, And then he served the Lord wholeheartedly as a response to the grace he had received. So in Paul's mind, he was still unworthy to bear the title apostle, but this did not stop him from giving himself fully to the church and to the work of the Lord. Verse 10, Paul writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. There was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Paul was once the church's greatest persecutor, but after encountering the Lord, he gave himself fully to the church he once persecuted. Taking the gospel to the Gentiles was no easy task. We, we've already seen that in our study of, of Corinthians, that, that, that he took no money from the church to live on because he saw that as being a hindrance to their faith. We, we know that Paul suffered greatly physically. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he even suffered shipwreck and snake bite for the gospel. But he also dealt with the emotional torment of being hated by his own people. But through it all, he labored faithfully, working harder for the Lord because of the grace of God that was within him. And that's really what God's kindness to us does to those who believe. It transforms us. It changes us from within. God's grace revealed and and received through the gospel, it transforms the greedy into the generous, the promiscuous into the pure, the lazy into the productive, the proud into the humble, and the self-absorbed into the compassionate. Now this does not mean that we do not face temptation to want to go back to who we once were. But what it means is that we have something greater within us, someone greater within us to enable us to strive and and resist our former desires in pursuit of lives that bring greater glory to God. And this is what every one of us is called to, Christians, our lives being lived in a way that brings greater glory to God. Now, for the unbelievers among us and the unbelievers in your life, many of whom will not be convinced by an argument from Scripture, but that does not mean that we do not share the gospel from Scripture to them. We should. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, but we must not lose out on the I uh, miss out on the fact that how the gospel has affected our lives also shapes our witness. We want our lives to line up with the gospel that we proclaim. Holiness matters, not as a, as a means to, to earn acceptance with God, but, but, but as evidence that we truly believe. And so we should examine ourselves to see if we are genuinely in the faith. So I close with questions. The gospel saves, that's clear from this passage. Where do you stand before the Lord? The gospel has been witnessed. What do you understand and believe about the Bible? Do you see it as God's inspired? inerrant word given for our good and the means through which we we learn what what God would have of his people in this life doesn't tell us everything about God but it tells us everything we need to know till we see him face to face do you really believe that would you commit with me today to read it daily Would you commit with me today to to, to speak with others regularly about what God has done? We've seen today that the gospel transforms. How have you been changed by Christ? Would would you ask God to, to reveal those areas in your life where you may be slipping into your old ways of thinking and behaving? This not only hurts our witness, but it it also hurts our intimacy with the Lord. Again, we're st- in Christ; we're still soundly saved. Jesus paid it all. Would you commit with me also to to ask God to reveal areas where our thinking needs to change? to reflect how we've been changed by Christ. We live in such, such a venomous time when it comes to how people talk to one another. We would rather attack those with whom we disagree than to disagree in a way that shows we value the person that we disagree with this affects our witness are we willing to see those outside of the faith who may view us as their enemies not as our enemies but those who are in desperate need of the truth are we willing to to put ourselves out there in a way with this gospel that enables us to speak the truth in love Being patient and and long suffering even when reviled, because we really believe that He is the only way to salvation. This is an important measure of our faith. We say we believe the gospel, we affirm the gospel. But how does that, what we affirm, how's how that translating into how we relate to others? I remember a preaching class when I was in Bible college, and you want to talk about someone earning a, a lot of crowns in heaven, it would have been our professor, Dr. Belcher. That man sat through some pretty lousy sermons over the years, many of them mine. (laughs) And I'll never forget one day, there was a young man in in our class who could not speak well, not in that he couldn't articulate things, but he literally had problems speaking. But he got up one day for his turn to preach and was talking about the importance of loving the unsaved and and being faithful in our care for them. He said, you know that person that you encounter that you hear swearing other very other word and, and taking the Lord's name in vain? You know what they're really saying? Share the gospel with me. You know that person that you encounter down the street at the, at, at the restaurant who's maybe had too much to drink and they're kind of being obnoxious and stumbling all over themselves? You know what they're really saying? Tell me about Jesus. And his point was simple. Those are the very people who need it. We can affirm the gospel with one another, and we should, and we should remind one another of the gospel and build each other up with the gospel in the church. But there's an aspect of the gospel that we've received salvation that those outside have not. Do we believe it's true? If we do, then we must share it, brothers and sisters. We must share it. Let's pray. Lord, well, I thank you for this day again and, and for these people. And